Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia, where for over the last five years I've been speaking to some of the leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Now over the last couple of months we've added a new show to the podcast. The interviews are continuing, but we've added on the Iconic Albums series. Now, in Iconic Albums, I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica, and we each choose an album to discuss each week that's had a significant impact on us as guitar players and musicians. This week, we are looking at Diesel's 1994 masterpiece, Solid State Rhyme. Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Welcome to Iconic Albums number 8. I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes. Hi Matt. Hi Gabor. And Gabor Jessica. Hey Matt, hey Rob. Great to see you guys. This is the show where we choose some guitar records that we think are iconic and talk all about it. This week we're talking about Diesel's album Solid State Rhyme. Rob brought this album to us. Do you want to kick us off, Rob? I'd love to. Uh, This was a really tough choice. I wanted to pick one of Mark's records and it was this one or it was... Soul Lost Companion. It was a really tough choice, but I figured with the hit singles off this one that it sort of fit the iconic status a bit more. Um, before I get into the record, I just want to thank Jason McNamara's live streams with Famous Friends, where I got some uh, information from, and Rob Wolf himself, who helped me out with a couple of stories here uh, from the recording. So it was released on the 17th of November in 1994. And it was recorded during May and August of 94 at Freight Train Studios, which was Jimmy Barnes' house in Bowral. I've recorded there. Oh, oh wow. really? Sorry, well, you're maybe, famous, man. <laughs> maybe you'll have some insight and understand some of these stories. Um, and then there was some additional recording done at Festival and 301. Um, it peaked at number 10 and spent 10 weeks on the ARIA charts and won him his third best male artist award at the ARIA's third in a row wow um he won in 93 for hep fidelity and 94 for the lobbyist and 95 for this one uh this album kicked off his just his love of producing and arranging um himself you know he'd had producers in the past some great producers but this was really his record from start to finish wow um featured the singles get it on chill pill 15 Feet of Snow and All Come Together. Um, And it's really hard on YouTube to find all of these clips. Now, you can find 15 Feet and All Come Together on his official YouTube channel, but get it on and chill pill, nothing. So uh, EMI, 
or whoever owns EMI now, BMG, Sony. Uh, yeah, get them up there. There's some great clips. Uh, and that's the little wrap up of of that record. What did what do you think when you're listening to that, Matt? Oh man, I love this record. This I love it so much. Um, and I agree with you. Solos Companion is a fantastic record as well. I love both these records. Um, I love I love a lot of diesel records. But yeah. I think I think these two they are my favourites for sure. Um, actually, it's just released a new record too. Um, yep, Alone with Blues just yeah, came out which two is weeks ago. Really cool. Um, like he's nonstop. Um, okay, back to Solid State Rhyme. I love the name. What a cool name for a record. And, and the mm. artwork is is awesome. The production is fantastic. So when you said it was his, yeah. him getting into production, that 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 makes sense. There's so much good ear candy. Um, yeah. Man, so much. I love the singles. Um, all come together is probably my favorite Diesel song ever. It's just it's pop perfection. Yeah. The production yeah. is. I mean the song. I mean of course the song always comes back to the song. The songwriting's brilliant. Um, but the production's amazing. All these parts and they just sit beautifully. Like the bass, the bass sound. Um, is that Diesel playing bass on that? He plays everything on this record except wow. Kane okay. Baker on drums and Rob Wolf wow. on on all the keys. But even Diesel plays some keys. Okay. Um, and then obviously there's the strings and the horns and a few yeah. special guests on backing vocals that we'll okay. get to mm. as this unfolds. Yeah. Man, the bass on that's unreal. That little bass solo after the first chorus is yeah, he's the He's a very best. underrated bass player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's had some good bass players with him over the years, namely Mr. Richie Vez, yep. lovely man. Hey, Richie, if you're listening. Um, but where were you when this album, so it dropped in 94, where, where were you at at that time, Matt? Where was I at? So 20-something, early 20s, um, doing a lot of music by then, actually. So we look at some of the earlier records, Satriani, Living Colour, all sort of, getting it together or trying to get it together. Um, by now, I was, uh, I was working as a music director at a, at a church. I was playing gigs. I was doing lots of teaching. There was just guitar everywhere for me. So to hear all this, I was getting into some production on a very little scale, but when I hear the production on this record, I, I loved it and the, the guitar tones. Um, the octave solo in All Come Together is just the best yeah. ever. The, um, the gospel changes at the end, those organ parts. Yeah, so I was paying attention to the sounds. The the Ebo in fifteen feet of snow. Yeah, followed by the mandolin. That's killer. I know. Far out. <laughs> it's just genius. Um, so I ended up getting an Ebo as soon as I could, um, <laughs> and annoying everyone with it for a long time. Uh, for people at home, Gabor is showing off his Ebos. I'm on holding the up an screen. Ebo. There's, I've always got one nearby, just in case. <laughs> in case 15 feet gets called on a gig. Yeah. But yeah, it's just unreal. He's, he's playing, like, I wore out Hep Fidelity on cassette. That was awesome. And I love the Johnny Diesel stuff, but Hep Fidelity just kicked it up uh, for me anyway. So yeah, that was just a couple of, couple of things that, that I loved. And it was a good time in my musical journey, I think. Awesome. And Gabor, was this the first time you heard this record? <laughs> uh, all the way through, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, it's... Uh, so, I mean, for, I've, I've been playing Diesel songs for, I don't know, the last 20 years in different bands and so on. I've actually been playing... Uh, all Come Together is a song I've been playing like solo for I don't know how long now. It's really funny. I don't know if it's the same with you guys. When you play a song and you play it hundreds and hundreds of times... 
but you never listen to it. And then you listen to it again and you go, oh, this is kind of different to the way I'm doing it. It's not right. They play it wrong. He plays it completely wrong. (laughs) Now, so so 94, I moved to Australia. I came to Australia in um, October 93. So I was in grade 11 in 94. I started, I was in school and that's sort of just around the time when I started playing guitar and I was, uh, Diesel was on all, like Hey Hey Saturday and all those shows. He was on a lot. It was just, I think, because it was just that album just came out. So I remember a lot of these songs, but again, I haven't listened to them for ages. And when I listened to the album, um, which actually, I got to say, killer album. What a killer album. And actually, when you said that he produced it, because that was one of the things I was going to ask who produced it, because mm. I thought the production is just spot on yes. on that. Such good production on the album. Yeah, Craig Portiel's uh, co-produced it with him, who's been with Mark on a lot of records. Okay, yeah. It's it's a great sounding album, great songs. Um, so I've, I've heard a whole bunch of them, but I haven't heard him for years, and I, I probably listened to, him, listened to him differently because I have, now you know when we talk about what album we're going to do when you, when i listen to the songs i probably listen to them differently to if i would just listen to them you know you, you try to zone in and hone in on more things right but um so for me what I, the, the, the sort of first things i, I wrote out wrote down um uh reminds me a lot similar similarish vein the bad loves around that time re- reminds a similar sort of vibe that really cool soulful kind of music which i really dug um, great voice, great songs, really good production, really tasty guitar playing. So that's just what I sort of wrote down first time I listened to it. Um, it's not an album that you can sort of date that it's from the 90s. Like, to me, you could release it now and it would sound current. It's sort of, it doesn't have, like, you know, other albums we've talked about in the past. Um, you can sort of, you hear them and you go, okay, that's sort of late 80s. You know, you can sort of, but that, it doesn't sound 90s. That's sort of one of the things I wrote down. Uh, and then for me, uh, yeah, uh, stuff like the Ebo solo followed by the mandolin in 15 Feet of Snow, which that's another song. I knew the song, but I haven't listened to it in such a long time. Such a great song, like really, really good song. Um, I mean, we'll go through standout tracks later, which I've got written down, but that's sort of what I, what I main thing I wrote down. And I wrote down, yeah, uh, who was it produced by? Uh, so now I know. and Because um, the production is killer. Yeah. Is he is he very well known outside of Australia? Because coming from Europe, I never heard of him before. Um, but is he well known in other places? Because I mean, that album to me is like that could be an American soul singer. Um, you know, it's it's a it's really well done in that sort of genre. Yeah, he had a little bit of success in Europe, and obviously around that time of the album that Matt and I were talking about. Um, Soul Lost Companion, he was in New York. He got a big record deal with Mammoth yeah. Records at the time. Uh, probably don't have enough time for that story. Okay. But I know that uh, a lot of, at that time, a lot of record companies didn't know what to do with him because they went, well, we've got Lenny Kravitz and we've got Prince and we've got these kind of funk, yeah. rock, soul, R&B artists. We don't know quite where you fit. Uh, just... Off, that's just all off the top of my head from stuff no. I read at the time, um, interviews with him. I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of Mark's. I've followed him since I was a kid. He's one of the reasons I play guitar and how I play guitar, and probably the artist I've seen the most, and probably "Crying Shame" is the song I've played the most in my life. <laughs> um, yes. 
But yeah, 94 at that time, I was 18. So I just started to go and see concerts. Uh, I'd, yeah. if for me, it was, I was going out on my own. I was catching the train to Sydney from the Southwest uh, suburbs of Sydney and with mates and we would go in and we'd just go to the Metro. If someone was on at the Metro, we were at the Metro and we'd watch. And I think I saw, I think I've seen Diesel at the Metro like 12 times, maybe more. Wow. Uh, but yeah, that time was the first time I saw him was at the Easter show when I was 15. My mum took me and it was in the showground. So yeah. I missed the lobbyist tour because I was under 18 and there wasn't many all-age shows. And then this was the big moment. This is when he released a record on the year that I was 18. So I could no see that tour and, oh, my God, like, ridiculous the band was ridiculously good um and the live show there's some video i found a uh a performance of his he, he had this white vinyl like jumpsuit that he played in so hence <laughs> that kind of prince thing with the soul and funk and it was great it was like earth wind and fire um with a headband and hair like sylvester stallone so it was kind of like this disco Rambo, he kind of looks like, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, but it was for the time. It was great. So, uh, um, but yeah, it was just a great time. He was live. He was doing covers of Family Affair. Um, oh, wow. And he was just right into Sly and Stevie and uh, Curtis Mayfield and the Isley Brothers. That There's the interview with him that I watched for this, for the research for this episode. And he said, yeah, during the writing of this record, that's what he was buried himself in. Isley Brothers, wow. Curtis Mayfield. You can tell, Stone. yeah. You can tell. Uh, so, so standout tracks, Matt, for you. Oh, I think I've already, I think I've already said it. So it all come together. <laughs> I, that, it's one song I never get sick of. So yeah. I could just put it on repeat. Um, Fifteen feet's great, man. Sacred. Or maybe just moments that stick out on the record for you. Yeah, I mean, Sacred Cow is awesome, man. <laughs> that that wah guitar. Which again, Hep Fidelity, that wire pedal gets a workout. Um, yeah. Unreal, man. So, yeah, hearing that kind of vibe on Sacred Cow. And again, the production's so clever. Like the end of the solo, he wraps it up and then there's kind of panned guitars just before the verse or the vocal kicks back in, which is super cool. Um, the song You is beautiful. Um, Make It Right, just, man, amazing. Yeah, it's that. Was solo it? There's influence. one. What song is it? There's one song, and I think is it. There's like a big guitar solo, and then it ends with a triangle, and then there's like silence, and then it goes back in a. What there's a. It's. I should have written that down, but I remember there was this. Uh, well, yeah. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> I remember there's one bit, and and it's the it, it it's like a like a climax bit, and then it's like a triangle sound, like a ding, and it stops. Everything stops, and then it, the band comes back in. There's one track on this. I don't. I should have written that down. I just remembered that then. But anyway, there's some really beautiful instrumentation. Like when you yeah. go when you go through the liner notes of this record and you see the instruments that Mark played, um, you know, like it's guitars, it's bass, it's percussion, it's backing vocals, it's twelve string, it's baritones, it's the choral sitar, which you'll hear on uh, the solo of "Come If Come If You Dare." Yeah, yep. there's that going on in there. Um, just he's playing a mellotron glockenspiels there's like, that really i wonder if that's a mellotron there's in in love again 
there's a which is it's all all the piano, but then in the chorus there's a kind of is it a mellotron that sound that comes into it? It's a really cool sound. Like it's, that that very, it's like a string sound, but Beatles, George very Beatles, yeah. all winds in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the chimes going as well. I think at the same that's time, that's a great song. It's that's, just like this, yeah. yeah, it's like a wave coming in. It's beautiful. Yeah. I wonder if that's a mellotron. It, it, it yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, Love again. All the people with um, ASMR at home, just hearing that. (laughs) (laughs) The paper rattle. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, it doesn't say Mellotron on Love Again, but uh, there's strings. Uh, Marcus Holden arranged the strings on this record and he's had a bit of history with Diesel on the Coat Hanger Antenna record. And Diesel and Strings, the live thing that they did at the Vanguard. Oh yeah, cool. So okay. he's always he keeps the same people around for a lot of lot of long long years. You know, um, I'm having problem with English today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but standouts, you wanted to get to your standouts, Gabor. What were what things stood uh, out to you? For me, probably my favorite album on the album is probably 15 Feet of Snow. That's a killer song. That's such a great song. Uh, again, I love the production is just fantastic on it. The Ebo solo is so cool. The mandolin thing after it is so cool. The production is fantastic. Uh, still thinking about your love. Um, the first kind of few bars, it reminds me of like a like a seventies cop show intro. <laughs> it just has a kind of vibe to it. But it's cool. It's a very it's a very um, yeah sort of funk, soul funk kind of seventies. Very cool vibe. Um, and the bass line is killer on that too. And I love the roads um, that sort of threw out the verse. Um, that's a great, great, great song. All come together. Um, like I mentioned before, it's a song I've been playing for years. And when I listen to it, it's just, I just went, I'm playing completely wrong. <laughs> but are you following? Because he did the acoustic version on Singled Out. And um, it's kind of evolved into this 12 string acoustic version live so is that sort of the one you base your version on or i do i don't remember what i based mine on but mine i i think i'd go uh, is it in c, c? yeah i do it in a because i i'm a more i've got a lower voice so i do it in a different uh, much lower as well um uh so i don't know where i got my version from i think it evolved from because we used to play it in a band mm-hmm. but we had a keyboard player and it was a a, a a large Samoan lady singing <laughs> who could reach all those notes that I can't reach. And uh, it sort of evolved out of that when I started doing solo. I kind of did whatever version we did in that band and it turned into what I'd do. So I'm not sure if if I where it came from. But, yeah, it's, it's quite different and much faster than the actual version that I do it. Um, so I'm going to have to readjust my speed <laughs> when it comes to it. Um, and his version is so much better than mine. So, <laughs> oh. um, And Love Again, that was the other one I wrote down. Um, great ballad, great production, the strings. And I love uh, the the backing vocals. Is it the last song, Time? Yeah. Is it really low a bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, is it like a... It, I wonder if it, they slow down the, the the speed to pitch it down, or is it like an effect on the voice? Because it sounds really weird that low backing. He does a lot of that. Um, he layers vocals crazy. But Mark Williams, the Show No Mercy, yeah. currently in Dragon, Dragon he yeah. appears. He does the backing vocals on that track as well. Oh, okay, so, is it really low? It's that I don't I don't know what the words are, but it's a really low, and it almost sounds like a, you know, back in the days, uh, Roland used to make this thing where you could turn your voice from a male voice into a female voice 
you know that that thing yeah it right. sounded like maybe something like that like where it kind of went oh let's let's make these female lovely female backup singers let's make them sound like guys yeah wow. <laughs> so it has a weird sound to it but um yeah it's it's uh again it was another one of those one it sort of took me a little bit by surprise and i actually ended up i bought it on 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 um uh itunes um great album like i was uh, sacred cow as well i i love the um the intro as well it's a, just the whole album. It's another one of those. It's just all good. It's very strong, yeah. Yeah. That's what I find hard picking favorite tracks because I listen to it. I listen to it kind of semi-regularly. It comes up. I'll just hit shuffle yeah. on Spotify and very rarely do songs from this album pop up. Like I'll all come together in uh, 15 feet. But for me, when Get It On just slams in straight out of chill pill. Yeah. That That's groove a cool track too. and the bass and then the headphones, the panning guitar solo. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. takes you back to the Hendrix days, you know. And um Is that is that in time as well where the, the bass kind of plays them it's like chords and stuff and he yeah. plays like almost the, the song is starts with the bass. Is that time? Is that the last track? No, time starts with that kind of like Les slow Leslie kind of guitar intro. Um, it's kind of because there's like, one track that starts, and again, I didn't write it down, I should have written it down, but it starts off with like it sounds like a riff on a bass, and then it sort of evolves. That's still thinking about your love, isn't it? Or it's like, no, 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 but like a slow song, oh, okay. Ballads. Um, God, I can't believe I can't bring it to mind. I don't know, anyway. Anyway, yeah, I should so, have written it down, but that's that's yeah, sorry. Time is another one. I'm uh, every time. Every time I get Every to that song, time. I go, why don't I just put that on first? Yeah. Uh, just for sheer lusciousness, everything, the layers, doesn't. there's a lot going on, but it doesn't feel like it's too much. It's still, yeah. still sparse, but uh, just beautiful. Mark Williams' distinctive voice, which we touched on, is amazing. And Mark guitar work uh, and that glockenspiel, you know, immediately I'm transported back to high school. And, um, you know, but in a good way, um, I'm the same, still, still thinking about your love that the funk, the strings, the horns, Yeah, yeah. it's just, horns, man. the horns throughout the album are great. Actually, there's a lot of horns on there and throughout it, they all sound really good. And just that you can tell that, um, that Philly soul Motown thing that he was, where he was coming from with the interaction between the horns and the strings. I just. There's no filler for me. There's occasionally a song on that record that I go, I can't listen to that anymore. But then I come back to it and I go, am I crazy? This is amazing. And 15, <laughs> 15 feet of snow is kind of like that every now and again. I go, oh, I just need a break from that song. But then I come back to it and I go, what was I thinking? You know, mm. like, That's crazy. <laughs> It's interesting when we're talking about the production and I think you just touched on it, Rob, you know, there's or perhaps all Gabor, but it's never cluttered. It, it, there's lots going no. on, but that's the that's the mastery of the production in, in action when you're you're enjoying all this ear candy, but it's not it's not clogging and up the space. There's also quite a lot like when you really listen to some of the guitars, there's a lot of effects. There's mm. it's quite heavy on the effects, but again it doesn't it's it's really well used effects because they don't take the foreground they just kind of make it the parts work yeah 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 um 
Because some of the guitar with... sounds are really cool. There's some really and really different sort of guitar sounds. Yeah, absolutely. There's even songs that have two basses. Wow. So he's got the acoustic bass going, and then you can hear him playing on the upper registers, like the little funky, you know, slappy, plucky oh, yeah. bits. But you can hear underneath that acoustic bass going on, and um, when you check the liner notes, you can see that, yeah, he played this bass and that bass. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. Wow. Know, and then baritones... Uh, so we'll get in. We'll get into the gear. Yeah. A bit yeah. Later. Okay. Cool. 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 <laughs> what if um? What if we take a, a short break, Rob? I know you've got some behind the scenes stuff. I can't wait to hear that. And uh, Rob, we need to talk about you. Like you, you opened for for Diesel, didn't you? I've been lucky enough to be one of those solo acoustic, you know, original artists that have opened for him. And yeah, it was still one of the best experiences of my life. Shout out to Tanti for making that happen. Uh, everyone knows Tanti. Everyone knows Tanti. Um, I didn't know she was booking people. Though. This is awesome. Next level. Yeah, it was on the, um, it was on the, he did a run of shows midweek launching um, a record at the Vanguard. So he's doing a bunch of Wednesdays and wow, uh, managed so to, managed to get on one of those. It was great. Uh, did that with my mate, Tino Marcocci. Oh yeah. Shout out to, shout out to Tino. Um, yeah, that was some great memories. And I got to go back the next week, um, to see the next show and then hang out backstage and man, we just talked like we're talking now really? talked about pedals and guitars and yeah. amps and it was, yeah, it's fantastic just to be, cause I never wanted to be a fanboy, and I'm probably coming across as one. Sorry. <laughs> um, that's what I this just, show's for though. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. we are. We're totally fanboying out. Um, but it, I always wanted to make those moments that I that I got to meet him. Not so much for use of a better term, but but on his level, like as a musician, uh-huh. and not as someone coming up and going, "I love you. Can I have your autograph?" Yeah. And mm. I'm so blessed to have had that chance. So yeah, nice. Now, Gabor, you started pointing to yourself. Have you opened for Diesel as well? We have, yes, uh, in a different sort of thing. So this is uh, he. He came up. I reckon this would have been maybe 2005, 2006, something like that. Yeah. Um, the, uh, a new radio station, station started up here called Zinc, Zinc FM. And they had, uh, for the opening, they got Jamie Dunn, who um, was aggro <laughs> for yeah. people that live in Australia. <laughs> he was, you know, he was aggro. And Joe Beth Taylor um, did a morning show. Okay, and yeah, yeah. So they brought them up here to, to sort of launch the channel, I think for like a year or so, they did the morning show. And for the launch, they had Diesel um, play, uh, but just on his by himself solo, um, just uh, acoustic. And so my um, my the covers band I was in at the time, this was at Noosa Surf Club. My covers band at the time, we opened for Diesel. So we <laughs> it was funny because so we had we played for maybe two hours or something like that. Yeah, you know, because it was sort of a. I think it was a, a um, it was only open to it wasn't open to the public. It was only open to people within the radio station and people that sort of part you know it was sort of an industry thing. And we played for about two hours. I think we at the time we were like a maybe six piece band, seven piece band, sort of playing kind of funky R and B soul covers yep. like corporate stuff, right? With a we had a, a, um, a, a talk about it every once in a while, a rather large Samoan lady um, uh, singing for us. Who had a very soulful voice, and we had, you know keyboards and saxophone. We had this big band, and we played, and it was all cool. And then he came out just by himself solo, 
just with his tiny little maiden yeah. mini guitar and just blew everyone away. <laughs> it was <laughs> really, really good. Uh, just super impressive. Just as one guy, how he just completely took control of the room. Like he was very charismatic because I've never seen him before and I don't know that much about him. Like I said earlier on, all I know was sort of what I knew when I first moved to Australia, he seemed to be one of the it guys, you know, yeah, the Australian yeah. it guys at the time. Yeah. But uh, just I, all I remember was he was really nice. He was quite short. That's the other thing I remember because I'm rather tall, but <laughs> he was quite short compared to me. And he was this little guy with his little guitar, really low. Yeah. He had it, you know, the acoustic guitar. It's the coolest. But his massive sound and he was really, really good. And just the whole room just focused wow. on him, wow. you know, after there's this six or seven piece band or whatever we were at the time playing and no one gave a crap <laughs> and then he comes up and he just takes con complete control of him so yeah that was my diesel experience and we talked maybe for five minutes yeah because i think he liked some of the stuff we played he sort of was backstage backstage oh, before okay. he got on yep, yep. and we were playing a lot of at the time it was sort of very funky you know we played we played a lot of we, we played some meters and we played you know because oh, we were cool. that sort of kind of band nice. and we had horns and stuff as well and and you know uh, uh, Aretha Franklin, and you know that sort of soul R and B kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think he kind of he liked what we did anyway, and he was sort of and he seemed really nice and approachable. And then he went on and just rocked the house. Yeah, very cool, awesome. Well, yeah, we'll take a short break. You guys are legends touring with the uh, with the uh, aforementioned <laughs> iconic album masters. Um, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with some behind the scenes stuff because I think Rob's got a big stash of cool stuff to tell us. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Kopp. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. All right, welcome back. We're talking Diesel's Solid State Rhyme. Rob, you've got you've got a stash of fun facts and stuff. I do. So um, thanks again to Rob Wolf, keyboard extraordinaire, uh, a guy I'm very lucky to know. Wow, awesome. Mostly through King Tide. I used to do some sound for live sound for reggae bands on the northern beaches yeah. and got to know a lot of these guys, Declan Kelly and... Um, that were all in these reggae bands are killer. It was a great time. Um, but yeah, Rob, um, just a lovely guy. And um, he was called in on the track. So he did all the keyboards apart from the odd thing that Mark does. Um, so B3s, Rhodes, Hammonds, all those things, that's Rob. And uh, so he said basically him and drummer Kane Baker uh, were called in for what Mark called tracking camp. So it was at Jimmy Barnes's house yep. and both Jimmy's wife, Jane, and Diesel's wife, Jep, who's Jane's sister, um, they mm. basically were their full-time cooks. So he said they kept them well-fed and they just stayed there tracking nonstop. So um, he said basically what they did, um, he used a clavinet, the B3 and his roads. 
He said Mark's demos were basically complete. Um, and then they just came in and tracked over the top um, and recreated his demos, adding a bit of feel, etc. Mm. Um, and he said Mark has really switched on. He knew exactly what he wanted and was meticulous to the point where he knew when he wanted the Leslie fast and the Leslie yeah. slow and oh, wow. all those instructions like right at the right time. Um, and he, it, Rob basically said him and Kane were just, you know, babies. He thought, he thought, you know, I'm, I'm all that when he got there, but he realized, you know, looking back that, yeah, he was just a baby <laughs> too in that environment. And he went on and played <clears> with Mark for live for a lot of years. Um, cause Mark, they had the four piece. So, um, Lee Maloney and Richie and Rob and Diesel, they did like 10, maybe more than 10 years together. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was just some memories from, uh, from Rob's time tracking this record at Jimmy Barnes's house. Nice. He cool. said they, um, the other thing he said was um, the piano, they positioned the piano at the top of the staircase in the main body of the house. So I'm guessing the main living area. Yeah. Um, and then it was recorded from there, but it like, sounds very Zeppelin. Yeah, Headley Grange with Jimmy mm. Barnes. Yeah. Well, I, I worked there after Jimmy had sold the place. So someone else owned it, but it was still available as a studio. Um, oh, cool. So you could, um, yeah, you could work there. The piano was still in the foyer kind of thing. Um, yeah. Studio was downstairs and um, you could live there and, and, yeah, you could, yeah, it was awesome. Tennis court. Uh, I think there was a pool, although I was there in winter. Every time I went there, it was winter. Or just it was always cold because it was in barrel. I'm not sure, but oh. um, amazing. I spent my first wedding anniversary in barrel. Boy, was it cold. <laughs> it Where's was barrel? Where is it? Like South Sydney, like south of Sydney, like okay. far south. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sort of out, inland. Out. Inland yeah, a bit, Inland yeah. from Wollongong, I guess, if you oh, look okay. down okay. across the map. But yeah, that was a, that was a heady time. Yeah, I used to hear the stories of that that house of what went on down there. Yeah, right. Like his yearly um, block parties <laughs> that he used to put on. Um, well, they're all still down there in the Southern Highlands now again. Yeah, right. Jimmy and, and the family. Yeah. Crazy. So some stories behind the songs um, that people might know or might not. So we mentioned guests on this record Vanetta Fields um, he talks about it um, on that podcast with Jason McNamara people should check it out it's over three hours long Whoa. and as someone who's followed Mark's career he talks about a lot of things he's never spoken about before wow. which was why I had to go there for some of this research because he hasn't hadn't really um, have a body of work regarding what he spoke about at that time yeah. and things. so I'll add a link most, to that. If you want to send it to me, Rob, I'll add that so people can check it out. Yeah, cool. Um, mostly he was in like Smash Hits magazines and Dolly, you know. <laughs> yes, like, yeah. Not a, lot of, not a lot of substance in those magazines. But yeah, Sacred Cow, the Jerry Jones electric coral sea tar was used. Um, and people would know that famed baritone that he used on come to me which is another jerry jones that's a longhorn yeah um and on the track bad seed that fifth that he's creating um digitech whammy pedal 
Nice. Yeah. That's series one. That's a cool riff too. That in, uh, intro riff, the main riff to that. That's a cool riff. Yeah. yeah. And to get the snare sound on 15 feet of snow, he said they couldn't quite get it. Um, so they flipped it over ah. and oh. hit the underside of the snare to get that snare sound. Just that's how that goes to what Rob said about how meticulous he was yeah. about wow. getting certain sounds. And maybe why it doesn't sound dated is because. Everything was done to serve the song specifically. Yeah. It wasn't really error related. Um, wow. No, and just that's cool. For anybody that may not have heard this record or not listened to it in a while, I went through the second time listening for this, just listening to the bass playing, and it's off the chart. Like, yeah. as much that's as it is a, rec- on a it, guitar yeah. record, it's a bass record as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, fantastic. Um, gear. So, should we talk about gear? Yeah, oh, yes, please. Yeah. Well, right, so as, I as you said, there's not a lot of info about this side, so I can't wait. No. <laughs> so, a lot of this is off the top of my head um, from the time and like stopping a couple of YouTube clips to to trigger my memory. Ah, yeah. But at, at the time on tour, and anybody in the comments that wants to correct me, he was using Mu- Music Man silhouettes. He had like live. He was using a green sparkle um, silhouette model. Wow. Okay. Um, and I think from memory, he had a purple one and a white one as well. Um, he was also using a silver sparkle Les Paul. So I don't know if anyone remembers those ones that were covered in the silver and black speckle. Yeah. So he had one of those. Um, a white Floyd Rose Strat. Um, mostly he had these custom quad boxes on stage that had solid state in the Marshall oh, kind of logo. Cool. Oh, cool. So, That's cool. Uh, you can see people can't see at home, but um, behind me, I've got a Marshall logo there. Um, yeah. So he had solid state on the front with these kind of cream glitter fronts on these custom cabs. Now I know these custom cabs cause I owned one. <laughs> oh, I, wow. I bought from guitar crazy and Coogee who had his rig from this era. Um, and it was a Pete Cornish rig. Oh wow! That oh wow! Was That's expensive like stuff. Rack drawers with pedals in them, uh-huh. and then the full switcher on the ground. So when you see any of the um, footage from that era, like the Australia Day concert, um, the Aria Awards and stuff, all you see is like this big black control panel with huge silver buttons. Yeah. Like there's no pedals on the ground bar okay. a wah pedal and maybe an expression pedal. Yeah. Um, and this. Uh, guitar crazy they picked it up at an auction um at some stage and so they had it for sale for the longest time that would have uh, cost a fortune because the cornish stuff i mean even just buying his leads is ridiculous <laughs> yeah it's it was it was an insane rig they had it for like uh, i think they had it for 15 grand for a while on oh, the wow, site okay. and then they dropped it to 10 um and then they started just bitsing it out which is how yeah. i got the quad now the quad was Crazy marine ply, oversized 412, loaded with four EV12Ls. So it weighed so much. It was inside. It was a two-man lift on the best of days. (laughs) Um, And for anyone listening that has played the Three Wise Monkeys in Sydney, um, I used to drag that in there up the stairs. (laughs) But funny story to just uh, digress for a second. I was teaching guitar to the owner of the Three Wise Monkeys' son um, in in Bronte, 
And I remember just saying to him one day, oh, mate, you know, because he hit me up because I was playing there. And I said, oh, can you do me a favor? And he's like, yeah, what? I said, can you just, can I use the dumb waiter just to get my stuff up? Like, I don't care. I don't want to put the drums in there. Don't worry about those guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've got this quad box that weighs like, 60 kilos can i put it in the dumbwaiter and he went yeah mate no worries just tell the staff i said it was all right so when every other band sorry guys and girls were told they couldn't use the dumbwaiter because they broke it every other weekend i still got to use it to put that quad box in and that was yeah that right. was, and i ended up parting out that quad box too um there's a story I'll tell you guys off air about that rig that I can't tell on air, but um, okay. it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful story. Um, so wait. yeah, that was, that was it. Um, he started playing Gretsch's around that time, especially that Piers Crocker crutch oh, yeah, yeah, guitar yeah. that was made for him, which shock horror again in that podcast, um, he gives all his guitars away. He gives them to family, he gives them to friends, he gives them to charities, oh, wow. all kinds of things. So he doesn't have that anymore. He gave it to his nephew or something. Wow. Um, so that was the black, but sort of like a cross between a, a penguin and a duo jet. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, and in the Get It On clip, there's a what looks like a 6125 single anniversary. Um, so they were the main guitars, Marshall Heads, he was using at that time, so I'm not sure what ones they were. I'm, I'm sure they're like 800s. Um, and he was the first Australian endorsee of the V guitars from Roland. So oh, wow. I'm not sure that, when yeah. that fell, but yeah, he was doing the VG guitar tours and clinics all around Australia. So oh, wow. that featured on the floor at some stage, but I think it might have been after this tour. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah, that's sort of the gear roundup. It was really hard to find what he recorded with because yeah. um, he demoed a lot of that stuff on his own um, and there's just no information. He doesn't really talk about it. But it does It does seem like a lot of those guitars that were in his arsenal, he had a um, Gibson Melody Maker that was a gift to him on that first Jimmy Barnes tour. Jimmy bought him that. Oh, wow. Um, and the original Strat that he had the special badge on. Yep. Um, that ended up being the signature model. That would have mm. probably been around as well as his um, his telly that he's been playing a lot of lately. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, the effects are anybody's guess, but uh, are just from off the top of my head, that pedal draw had like a Mutron in it, um, chorus pedal, whole bunch of like little things like that. I think there might have been a full tone, full drive too at some stage. Um, wire pedals he was using... I think he was just using the crybaby in those days before he went on to the Buddha and then yeah. the, the Voxwars that he uses now. But uh, that kind of sums up all cool. of my notes, I think. That's awesome, man. Good, good deep dive there, man. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't miss the opportunity. Uh, people should go and revisit this record because it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's a killer album. Yeah, so good. Get you up and dance. Fantastic. Yeah. Man, thanks, Rob. Thanks for bringing it to us. That's uh, my, Yeah, thanks, man. My that's pleasure. a great, iconic album. Rob, for people to uh, follow you and, and what you get up to, where, where should they look out for? Yeah, just uh, Google Living in the 70s or Facebook Living in the 70s Live. That's my main gig. Excellent. And Gabor? 
So I have uh, a little YouTube channel called uh, The Super Fun Awesome Happy Time Pedal Show. No gaps, all one word. Um, and, I, you know, look at pedals and voxoirs and <laughs> nice. all that sort of stuff. Uh, just two nerdy guys sitting around uh, giggling whilst playing with pedals and amps and guitars and stuff. So Perfect. Uh, check that out. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for joining me. And uh, we'll catch you next week for another iconic album. Thanks, guys. Thank you. See ya. All right, thanks for joining us for another Guitar Speak podcast, Iconic Albums. I've really enjoyed putting these conversations together with Rob and Gabor, and it's been a really cool addition to our podcast show, which uh, every week has deep dive one-on-one interviews as well. That's been our bread and butter for the last five years, and that will be continuing as well. Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, German guitarist from UFO, The Scorpions and MSG. Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.